We began the science show talking about species on the edge, all those living things in danger, some of extinction. And that's where forensic science and Adrian Lineker come in, for instance, with the sweet pangolin, a mammal with scales that crooks keep smuggling. They've developed a way of tracing concealed pangolins at Taronga Zoo, but Flinders too is on the case. Oh, you are right. They're an amazing creature and they're heavily traded, absolutely all illegal. Now, what we've been working on is their shells is their downfall because their scales is used in traditional medicines. So they are taken for that purpose. And normally the scales are pulled off the animal. It's dead. They're put in bags and then sent around the world. A lot of them come from parts of Africa where the pangolins still have some populations left. They're almost extinct in Asia. So they come from parts like Benin and Nigeria. The shells and scales are put into these bags and sent around the world, mostly traded via somewhere like Singapore and then on to Southeast Asia. So what we're looking at is those scales have small amounts of DNA on them. Still, not much, but small amounts. You put them in bags. Okay, if you then find containers, bags and things like that without pangolin stuff, we've developed a way of detecting that DNA. So you know that container, that bag, that paraphernalia at one point had pangolin on it. We work with a group in Singapore on this who are fascinated to try and find a better way of working on this. So DNA there. Trace DNA is for only small amounts, but we've developed a little dye that binds to that DNA. Doesn't bind to bacteria. So you can spray it into your bag. You can spray it to your container and use a little light. Push. And suddenly, where that pangolin is, boom, it lights up. So you can actually take a sample from that and prove it's definitely pangolin, but it's an amazing step forward for us. It's all based upon trying to break that trade. The wildlife trade is incredible. Now, I know that someone like Prince William is now really interested in this, but trying to get authorities otherwise interested is very difficult. It's a huge trade. It's difficult to work out how much it's worth. Estimates are between 20 and 50 billion US dollars per year. I mean, it dwarfs almost everything. You take rhino horn, on the black market, it's about $95,000 per kilogram. Gold is 45. You can see why rhino horn is worth so much of what it is and why it's traded. Ivory is the same thing. These are all species. Humans are species, we can do DNA in exactly the same way. So I've applied those sorts of methods I'd use for crime scene work to tracing wildlife. It's a fascinating thing. Not many people are interested in. My chalice here is to try and get people fascinated by it. It's an amazing thing to work on. I'll say hardly anyone does, which is a real pity. When you found the clues and you report them, is there efficient follow-up from the authorities? Alas, no. And that's the world over. We detected tiger, tiger DNA, in traditional medicines that you could buy off the shelf. Now, that's here in Australia. That is here in Australia. Now, I've done the same thing in the UK, and we publicised it. It was actually a BBC programme on it, Trail of a Tiger. So the authorities knew. Were they interested in it? Well, compared to crimes against people and property, it's a low priority, it seems. And yet, when you ask people on the street, when you ask anyone, would you like to actually enforce wildlife and help protect tiger? Almost everyone says, yes, of course we would. 
right? But somehow what the public perception is and what the perception of those involved in following up on what is clearly illegal, unfortunately, they're two different things. Is it just too hard or are amounts of money exchanging hands? Well, unfortunately, in the law around the world is the penalties are so small. It dwarfs what people can earn from doing this type of thing. And hence, as the penalties are so small, mostly a fine, slap on the wrist, therefore, prosecuting authorities think it's just not worth it. That's the message I get. It's a great pity because this stuff, you can buy illegal products here in Australia. And yet, unfortunately, we can follow up on this and show people somehow the traction of going forward with the Attorney General's people is just not happening. Turning to people, and we both know some of the story of Lester and Sir Alec Jeffries' DNA fingerprinting. Since Alec Jeffries first did the work that got DNA fingerprinting going, how's it progressed? It's come on leaps and bounds. In fact, it's chalk and cheese. Now, Alec Jeffries started things off. He is the founding father of DNA fingerprinting, as it was. Within a few years, it changed. We started detecting different things. So, the way in which now DNA profiling works, so much more it's sensitive. So he needed quite a big blood stain, which was better than blood grouping, but we still needed a blood stain. We now only need a few things you touch for a few seconds. It is so differently in terms of what we call sensitivity. Also, the probability of finding someone else with that same DNA profile is so minute. Now, the brilliant thing about that is excludes everybody else. So... That's what I really think people lose sight of on DNA profiling. What does it do? It excludes. Huge numbers of people who would otherwise be implicated. DNA profiling can exclude you. You're not there. Don't worry. I would say what we now really are cautious of is when there is an inclusion, i.e. the DNA profile from a crime scene and someone, member of the public, matches, we really do think, why? Is there a good reason why? Just because your DNA matches does not mean that somehow you're guilty of a crime. I've got to stress that. That is something I want everyone to realise. Because we start to think, well, why is that? There can be very legitimate reasons why DNA at a crime scene matches somebody. Absolutely fine. We understand that. right? Sometimes, though, there are not legitimate reasons. And that's what we really think about. Is that DNA profile out of context? So I had the privilege of meeting Alec relatively recently. I actually knew him in the UK when I worked there. So we go back quite a long time. And I've got to say, he should take every plaudit. He should get the Nobel Prize for what he did. And I don't know why he hasn't, because he started us thinking. And I've got to say, he epitomises how science in general can move forward. He was not interested in forensic science when he did his bit. He was looking at DNA in seals, grey seals. But he had the great insight in thinking, well, I wonder if this works on something else. Can I now apply my science somewhere else? And I think a lot of scientific breakthroughs the world over have come from exactly that. It's almost like serendipity. Does this work here? Well, that's lucky. Can I do this somewhere else? And how amazing is that? Mm. But I think when, when Alec Jeffries presented that case, I was actually a very young scientist. And I looked at that and thought, well, why didn't I think of that? Sometimes that's genius, because sometimes the simple things are ones that no one thinks about. Quite interesting, because you mentioned seals. The other day I met in Canberra Anne Stone from Arizona, who was doing work on 
the origins of certain diseases such as tuberculosis in North America, not South America, which is different. And it turns out to have come from seals because people were eating them, were obviously slaughtering them and got covered with the TB that came from the seals themselves. But Bert Roberts, who's the head of the Centre for Excellence for Biodiversity and Heritage, he had been working with Svanti Pabo on a paper just published to do with some Neanderthals living in a cave in Siberia. And from the DNA, and this, of course, is thousands of years, tens of thousands of years old, they could work out that in the small family living in that cave, it was the women, the females, the girls, who knows, who went to other places and the men who stayed the same. You can get a family history by analysing the DNA, even of that age. Isn't that miraculous? Oh, it is amazing. I mean, that's Neanderthal man, which is probably about 30,000 years ago. Similar work, Svante Pabolo, he got the Nobel Prize and absolutely deserved. More recently, they've worked on looking at Denisovan. This is a population of humans we'd no idea existed. And I think it's opened the doors for us. I mean, I'm interested also in, in genetics and how human DNA moves around the world. We're suddenly realising we weren't alone for a long time. Denisovans were there. We obviously had a small population, we called it Hobbit Man, in Indonesia. Right. And we're now finding and I think there's a very good chance we'll find other homo types who were around for a long time. Homo sapiens probably left Africa about 90,000 years ago. So we're finding with our evidence and probably entered the rest of the world. And there were other homo types there who have now disappeared. Now, it's an interesting question. Why? But also, you know, we now realise with Neanderthal man, they haven't disappeared because my DNA and your DNA and most people from Europe, about 2% of our DNA is Neanderthal. That didn't happen by chance. And we know with the Denisovans, if you look at the population now in Tibet, they have DNA that almost certainly came from Denisovans who were used to high altitude. So clearly there was some adaptation from humans as we travelled around the world of collecting DNA from other people. A fascinating story all around, isn't it? It certainly is. Going back to the criminals, <laughs> in the extensive police interactions you've had, can you pick one, perhaps two, cases that fascinate you still? Oh, I, I certainly can. I've been incredibly lucky of travelling around the world and giving evidence in six different countries I've given evidence in. But there's a few cases, actually. But one was actually in the Masserine Barracks case in Northern Ireland. That when you're giving evidence against members of a real RA, you realise how difficult your job is. You put your head on the block, right? You just know what is going on when you sign off statements. And it's something that we get familiar with in the world of forensic science. It's not like you see on TV. It's more fascinating, actually. I really do think so. You know that when you're going to sign off that statement, what the implications are. Now, when you then go to court and you're standing up in ev giving evidence, again, you realise what the implications are. So I gave evidence in this case against two members of a real IRA in Northern Ireland. And as you're standing there, you realise what you're doing. There's someone looking at you who really doesn't like the evidence you're going to give, is not happy with what you're going to say, right? You still have to say it. You still have to say how it was. And I gave evidence explaining how I thought DNA from one of those members got onto a match which was used to burn a car. Hmm, interesting.
I couldn't think of any other way in which this is going to happen. But I presented evidence on it. I was very happy to do so. But it was one of those ones that stuck in my head. You do realise when you talk about forensic science just what it is you do. And it's a fascinating job, but it has implications from everything you do. You just know that. But you're still here to say the words. I am indeed. Yes, I know. <laughs> and I realised... You came to Australia. I did. I, <laughs> yes, because in fact, this was happening just as I was moving from the UK to Australia. So I thought, well, I'm on the other side of the planet. So let's just hope I'm all right. And still I am here. And you're still helping the police in Australia? I'm very much so. Yes, I still do quite a lot of criminal casework. I mean, I, I am an academic now. But I think if I'm going to talk about forensic science to students, I want to enthuse them. And you can best enthuse them by talking about cases you have done. Not cases that someone else did, but ones I have done. So just today, I've signed off on another statement. I do a fair amount of criminal casework. But more importantly as well, I like to make sure that what I do for my research has direct implications for criminal casework. And it transitions into a real world. And therefore, I like to think that what we try and do is relevant, can be used and is being used, and in time, and I've done it myself, is I've stood up and give evidence on research I did in the past, which is now being used. And that somehow that is very satisfying. Very satisfied, Adrian Lineker, who's chair of the Centre for Forensic DNA at Flinders University in Adelaide.